Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. As you can tell, I am not Tom Hollingsworth or Stephen Foskett. I am your temporary host, Corey Deering, the media and content specialist here at Gestalt IT. Stephen's at Cloud Field Day. Tom is off in the wilderness, so you're stuck with me. Uh, don't worry, though. I brought two incredible people here, and uh, especially for World Gratitude Day, uh, my two guest hosts this week, who are far more knowledgeable than I am, are Jim Suprinsky and Gerard Cavallinas. Thank you both for joining me today. How are you? You left out National Pecan Cookie Day. Oh, I'm more I, of a chocolate chip man. So yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, look, it's pecan. Pe- some people have nut allergies. I don't want to, you know, discriminate against those people. I think everybody should enjoy the cookie of their choice. But yes, it is also National Pecan Agreed. Cookie Day, which means I actually have some delicious stories for you guys. How do you get that Ooh, Tom I, Zinger I, in nice there? Nice segue. I like that. Well, I'm pumped to be back here. I feel like it's been a while since I've done a rundown episode, so I'm really glad to be hanging with y'all. Glad to see what we got going on. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you guys are here too, because my knowledge on this stuff is elementary at best, uh, but that's why I brought the experts on. Our first news story, though, of the day. Last week, ARM announced the Neoverse V2 CPU cores built more for performance per core applications. The Neoverse V2 has shown great performance results for Grace's LPDDR memory. According to ARM, Grace will be one of the first processors to use the new V2 cores. Already in its last stages of development, the Neoverse V2 will hit the market in 2023. Gerard, what are your thoughts on this? And I think it's game changing, you know, for a few reasons. Number one, they're able to really start leveraging a lot more cloud performance on a per thread basis. So how they broke it down is phenomenal. They have three different series, a V and an E. Um, the V cores are going to be designed for a lot higher performance per core. The E's are going to be a lot more efficient. And then the N's are going to carry that capability to scale out somewhere in between both of them from a performance standpoint. Um, so it's good. You know, I feel it gives the consumer a broader range of options, which is great. <clears throat> the big takeaway too, for me is the new, it's a two meg L2 cache on it. So what that does is it allows more enhanced performance, increased core bit. And then when you're building out those larger complex systems, it gives you a, a lot more of a wider range of additional features, you know, you get to choose from and leverage. So you love to see it. Um, it's great things. And I'm really interested to see where it goes with this new platform. You know, another thing, Gerard, I thought was interesting is the whole idea of having the mid-range series that marries both maximum performance and efficient throughput, right? Uh, I'm really big on energy savings wherever you possibly can, right? I mean, electricity is the new oil, if you will. And yeah, I'm glad to see that somebody's thinking about that. It is. It's good that it's on the radar. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Our next story, Ethereum's historic upgrade to a massively energy-efficient infrastructure is finally complete, and it's a success. On September 15th, as the world watched with abated breaths, the merger came to a finish, marking the end of long-period developmental work and the start of a new era of green cryptocurrency. Now, Jim, I know before we started recording, you said you have a lot of thoughts on this stuff. So uh, what's your take on this? Well, let's just talk about cryptocurrency in general, uh, my attitude is if a 12-year-old can't explain it to an eight-year-old in less than two minutes, anybody over the age of 20 probably shouldn't be investing in it. That's just my attitude. Um, But I do understand the rage behind it. Uh, The merge sounded, when I first read it, I thought it was the purge. I had to look at that twice. 
Um, the interesting thing in the article was that they basically compared what they did uh, by shifting to this new hardware platform, like changing a, an engine in a race car in the middle of a race while the engine is still running. And, you know, I remember this old video game that I used to play many before the millennium. Um, and at the end, when they would count up how you did, it would just as they counted up the number of things you destroyed, it would just go lucky, 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 lucky. And that's the first thing that occurred to me is like, why would anybody do this? You know, it's like standing in a pool of gasoline and lighting a match to see where you are, right? I mean, I don't know. Anyway, um, it does boast, I will say this, that it's a good news that they're actually focusing on decreasing their electrical power usage. I think they said it was equivalent to the amount of power saved was equivalent to the power of the national grid of Finland, okay? Which gives you an idea of how much energy these things are really expending. Uh, you know, it just seems to me that while it's an amazing technical technological feat, you know, why are we doing this? This doesn't just seem to make a lot of sense to me. Uh, it seems that cryptocurrency has gotten so far away. And, you know, the whole idea of a blockchain was to have secure transactions so anybody could bank, right? By by removing those limits uh, from people's uh, ability to, you know, to have things like needing to have a checking account just to do basic financial stuff and, and being able to do things like microfinance in the, the still developing world. We've come so far away from the noble goals of cryptocurrency, um, you know, so amazing technological feat, but why? Why are we changing engines in the middle of a race? You know, even F1 racers don't do that. I don't know. That's kind of where I'm coming from with it. I keep it real simple because I'm old school. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know, and the way they implemented it, and even the things I've read in the past about cryptocurrency, I always just feel like, you know, there, there's there's ways you could evolve it there's ways you know the different they're, they're they're attempting different techniques and methods but i feel again just keep it consistent and you know you're not gonna have any issues but that's just that's just my two cents on it yeah maybe i'm just too old school maybe i'm too <laughs> traditional but you know i am older right you guys know that but i did not live as someone accused me of through the uh tulip conspiracy of 1428 i just want to let you know that but <laughs> so i I try not to let my cynicism rule, but sometimes. Yeah, I think I think blockchain uh, technology is kind of interesting to look at from afar, but cryptocurrency has always been one of those things that's like, boy, this this seems like maybe maybe we wait until somebody really figures it out to, until you know we start taking it seriously. Yeah. Right. All right, Jared, this next story is for you. Uber has suffered a system breach. The cab and food delivery company confirmed last week. Thursday afternoon, a hacker broke into Uber and sent out a message to all employees over Slack, declaring that it has been breached. The incident left several of its internal systems offline. Now looking into it forensically, Uber disclosed in a recent update that the hacker in question is linked to the infamous Lapsus gang that is responsible for several high-profile security breaches. Gerard, I know that you are also a gamer, and so am I, and this same hacker has also breached several video game companies, including Rockstar Games. I just, I wanted to get your thought on this and why this is kind of a big deal. First thing I'm going to say, 
<clears throat> is the first thing I said when I heard about it. Mm, 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 mm. That's that was literally it. You know, it's crazy too. A while back, uh, on an episode of the rundown we did a while ago, I remember the San Francisco 49ers. I also, you know, an avid football fan. They suffered a real crippling breach. Now to hear Uber. Rockstar, a lot of these big companies are still suffering significant blows. It's a moment we really got to take and acknowledge what some may not have already known. And I mean, I, and not just IT professionals, but just everyday, you know, consumer and user, no one's safe. This is the time right now, more than ever, security, security, security. We need to assure the threats are minimal. Bases are covered on every front. These are times, you know, more vulnerability checks need to be happening in our environments, patching every aspect from A to Z and everything in between, because what's happening is it's, you know, I feel like we stay ahead of it as best as we can, but and I could be here forever talking about it. The more, the more proactive we are, the better our chances are of not ending up on the front page of the New York Times, at least in that kind of light, you know? If you want to end up on the front page of a, of a global, you know, news public publisher, you know, you want it to be something good, not, hey, by the way, you got breached to take it down. And it sucks because it's like, it's, it's a sense of weakness. And then I feel, you know, it, it hurts, but like every great organization, they're going to bounce back and come through it. But it's, it's starting to, it, it depletes and it almost cripples, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like your, 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 the core, right? Like how you emotionally feel. You're like, man, you know, my data has been gone. Like there's just no sense of privacy to yourself, you know? And, and again, that's why I've always stressed vulnerability checks and assuring, because again, it's even the slightest window or the slightest hole can just be blown wide open and, and exploited. And, you know, that's, that's where we end up here. Right. And, um, Based on what's been reported so far, uh, you know, very interesting, Gerard, that uh, it was a simple social engineering attack, right? Yeah. Someone said, hi, I'm from corp. I am from corporate IT. I would like to know your password. Sure. You know, you know, right. uh, like it, was, and, it know, wasn't some massive grand scheme, you know, plan. It wasn't masterminded. Right. It wasn't. It was just literally like, hey, Jim, what's up? Hey, you know what, man, my birthday. It's like. It's just very, it, it, and that, that's the, you know, they say simple is better or simple is easier. That's in this instance where simple is not so much better, but it is easier and it causes a catastrophic event on that level. Very basic tactics. Yeah, and Right. And, you know, Uber's no small uh, target, right? No, so you would figure no, that not. they would in, instruct their uh, employees uh, internally, at least how to use this. But then again, how many times a week do you see something on Facebook or somewhere else, especially it seems Facebook, somebody hacked me, somebody's, you know, taken over my Facebook. No, they just made another fake account and used yeah. your picture, you know, and I'm on Twitter a lot. I'm on LinkedIn, of course, you know, uh, but you, you got to be careful. You just got to, you got, if, if it's questionable, question it. Right. Yeah. Um, and be be vigilant, be vigilant. <laughs> English major here, but but seriously, you know, yeah. Um, the social in engineering is, you know, what probably at the base of ninety five percent of all these attacks. Yeah, simple stuff, man. Right. That's why? That's why? Good. That's why in any good organization, and most organizations, you're seeing a lot more phishing campaigns. Hey. This charge from yeah. uh, this charge from Amazon came through. Wait a minute, I don't have a corporate Amazon account. Like just putting two and two together sometimes goes a long way, you know. Educating. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, education is key. Everybody, that stay is. safe. Okay, so our next story: ASC Technology and TSMC are joining forces to develop silicon photonics. A groundbreaking technology in high-performance computing, silicon photonics will allow a 
faster data transmission at remarkably low energy consumption. But as of today, the cost of manufacturing photonic integrated circuit remains a major stumbling block in the production of uh, silicon photonics. It remains to be seen if the collaboration between TSMC and ASE technology changes that. Uh, Jim, what are your thoughts on this? Well, the technology sounds amazing. Uh, anything that would allow uh, intra-core, well, I shouldn't say intra-core, but intra-chip, I guess, right? Uh, technology to communicate faster, and especially GPU-type units, which means we have even faster graphics, um, will, oh, wait a minute, news alert, it's already been hacked. Just kidding, building off the last story. But no, seriously, um, yeah, this could be a major breakthrough. Uh, again, the faster we get, the closer we get to the speed of light, which, you know, electron, photon, you know, whatever you want to, you know, think, there's still uh, stumbling blocks. And uh, I actually did some more research on this. And I'm like, okay, well, there's a press release, and that's about it. So while it seems extremely promising, uh, we're going to have to see how much more it's going to cost to produce it, if it's going to be uh, a reasonably priced product, and is it just going to be specialized? Uh, in the meantime, I just wish people would start making more chips <laughs> so uh, I could get an EV, you know, for below $66,000. Uh, so yeah, fascinating development, but, you know, let's get to fusion first, you know, that's <laughs> my attitude. Yeah. And like, like on most things, and again, maybe it's the old school me, you know, the builder, the, the tinker, you know, I definitely love seeing the benchmark statistics on it, right? When you're comparing the chipsets right. from, you know, the old RTX 3000 to the new RTX 4000 series, you're going to see a substantial difference um, with those silicon. And, and here's the crazy part. I didn't realize that NVIDIA is not the only one that's going to benefit from utilizing this tech, AMD, Broadcom, Cisco, Marvel, like some of the big name players are I've signed contracts with these, these companies and these, these foundries. So it's good to help in their manufacturing over the next couple of years. I'm just, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to say, but I, I do truly believe in my heart, you know, across the board, unanimously, we're starting to see a lot more, you know, movement on the chip shortage. You know, we're not seeing as long a wait times. You're not going to have to wait right. to start deploying a lot of these. So that's also a huge coup on that for me, at least my opinion. Yeah. But of course, then all the chips are really going over for, you know, Ethereum's next upgrade. So yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, you're right. We are starting to see the supply chain differences or difficulties starting to improve. But still, you know, the, the, the thing that's ironic about that is that really that was a water shortage in Taiwan that caused that, you know, so maybe yeah. this whole climate change thing is maybe a little more realistic than everybody thought still have wait times we still got wait times I and mean, they're yeah. and they're still seemingly long but i don't know maybe i'm just maybe i'm just trying to see the light in in a very you know uh in a, in a dark scenario you know so i mean that's for me it's like hey you know what instead of 12 months it's like eight so i'm just yeah. trying to i'm just trying to make the best of that situation as anybody is speaking of upgrades intel is saying goodbye to celeron and pentium in laptops this week intel announced that they would be saying goodbye to their popular celeron and pentium branded processors in 2023, at least in their laptop parts. In a recent announcement, Intel seemingly looking to streamline their processors to a single Intel processor for low-end products with the core processor brand uh, sticking around with multiple tiers for their mid-tier products in their mobile stack. Though this change has not been announced for desktops or embedded parts yet, it seems likely the move in this direction as well, as mobile is Intel's leading consumer market 
Uh, Gerard, I know I had an Intel Pentium processor in my desktop when I went to college. Uh, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I just remember the jingle and the commercials and stuff for this. Uh, what, do, what are your do, thoughts do, on do. the streamline? Right. That's what I thought of. Do, 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 do. Uh, listen, yep. I'd be li I'd be lying if I didn't say the old PC tech in me is heartbroken. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but, uh, no, honestly, you know, it's an incredible announcement, and from someone who has troubleshooted so many issues again that's where i got my start in it for a lot that don't know is i started as a pc technician and worked my way up so you know i've i've seen the evolution you know from the p2 the p4 processors to you know all of these but it's an incredible announcement it just continues to show what intel's doing and they do what they do best that's take it to the next level evolve their brand and the products you know now i know this says it's only pertaining to laptop parts but and they didn't announce anything but don't be surprised in a matter of time you're going to see those changes across a slew if not all of their portfolio lineup i do see that over a matter of time because the thing is if you could stream a top tier chipset for a fraction of the cost and still maintain that high level of quality and performance why not do it right um the key takeaway right now of those two is a standpoint is their clock speed so if you could merge those products get the best of both worlds in essence uh and, and you know kind of rebrand it under a newer brand it'll be interesting to see because because intel is usually not one to switch their brands i mean their household name at least for you know from a technology standpoint and for the, the average consumer um you're going to see that a lot more but it'll be interesting to see the lineup and look I'll be looking for the benchmark scores because for me, I'm old school. I used to have, I had a stack of 50, you know, computer magazines and I'd be looking at all those and comparing the benchmarks. Same thing with AV software. I'm just, I'm that guy. I'll look at it and be like, I see it. Okay. That's great. I've read about it. Now I want to test it. So we're really going to, you know, see how that pans out there. I think it'll be interesting for them and, you know, we're going to see what comes of it. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, strangely enough, I had an old Pentium laptop that was mm -hmm. about the weight of two bricks. And <laughs> yep. I don't know why even was getting onto it. About two weeks ago, I actually plugged it in and it actually restarted. You know, so, you know, again, you think about that, it had no power on it for probably five years and it still restarted, right? So aside from, you know, people that are really into gaming or people that are into unbelievably, I was going to say uber fast, but based on their last news story, maybe not so good, um, you know, but, but people that are interested in extremely high performance uh, and calculation speed and things like that, you know, is, is fast enough, good enough. I, most yeah. of the chips today are more than fast enough for what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Moore's law continues to expand at the rate that it's expanded as time goes on. So yeah, and there's all kinds of amazing things coming down the road, but yeah, farewell to the Pentiums and the Celerons. Oh, well. You had a good run. <laughs> yeah, they did. A good run indeed. Gerard, Jim, we have a closer look story we wanted to take a look at, um, two actually, both involving Oracle. Oracle released its fiscal 2023 Q1 results, and it showed massive year-on-year -year cloud revenue growth. The number could only mean one thing. Oracle is set to win the race against other cloud vendors. With its accelerated growth, it may very well one-up Google Cloud and become the fastest-growing cloud vendor in the industry. Uh, Jim, I'm going to throw this over to you. I know you're very knowledgeable on Oracle. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Most people today, if, if I put a graphic up, it would be Oracle equal legacy. You know, people think of Oracle today like they thought IBM 
when Oracle first came around. Uh, you're talking to a guy who wrote his one of his first SQL statements ever on an Oracle database in 1987, just after my first DB2 database query, right? Yeah. So I go way back in terms of relational databases. What most people haven't been paying attention with Oracle uh, is that it has an aggressive cloud strategy, it, it, extremely aggressive. I've been working with their cloud-based products since uh, at least for the last five years. The initial version, I'm going to, let's see, find the right word, sucked. It was terrible. The cloud was unmanageable. Uh, the guys that were trying to engineer the Gen 1 of this, it it was beyond terrible as compared to AWS and even Google Cloud Platform, but people forgot about it. What happened is Oracle went out and hired, stole, whatever you want to call poached people from AWS and Google and Amazon and said, if you could have done your cloud the right way, what would you have done? And they were quite honest about it. And that's what happened. So Oracle said, okay, Gen 2 yeah, we know Gen 1 stinks. Gen 2 is going to be amazing. We're going to put our Exadata database machine platforms behind everything, right? We're going to make it easier and easier for you to do complex network designs. Um, I just built a, a new platform on Oracle for a spatial uh, experiment I was working on. And in less than two minutes, I didn't have to do anything. I just supplied some variables and I had a Terraform-based script ran and built out a little server, put it in my public VCN, and I was ready to go and start working right, right away. Uh, now that's on a small scale, but imagine as organizations start scaling up, especially the fact that Oracle is working very closely with Azure, and it's gonna get to the point where uh, an end user writing an application doesn't know and doesn't care whether or not they're running against an Oracle database or even an Azure, uh, I should say a SQL Server database based in Azure. Uh, it, 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 that, that marriage has happened and uh, it was just recently announced like in the last two months. So uh, I think you're gonna start to see uh, that Oracle is not legacy, right? Uh, I work with a lot of the Oracle product managers as an Oracle Ace Director. Uh, I talk to them at least once a week. These folks are aggressively attacking um, the marketplace and are, are, you know, really supplying some valuable uh, tool sets as well as very reliable, extremely reliable, in my opinion, cloud computing to the masses. Gerard? You know, I think it's awesome too. Uh, it's really surprising to me to see how AWS has been like chomping at the bit to become one of, if not the premier lead in these like cloud wars per se. But right. look, you got to give it to Oracle. They focus on the long game where others didn't. So it makes you wonder, are other cloud vendors going to adjust their strategies to try to get ahead of themselves? When those numbers come out next week, we're going to have a much bigger picture of where we're at because I'm interested as well, you know? And I've, I listen, right. I got nothing but love for Oracle. I know at one point they weren't always your go-to and you just hit it, it stunk. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see how they've evolved and how they changed. So I really thought, and it's, it's the, the businessman in me or the, the, the business person, you know, you're seeing that, that they're focusing on a much bigger picture than the, than the, than the little one. So I'm excited for it. Yeah. Right. Be a good time. 
Yeah, and uh, Oracle is seems to be sticking around uh, because according to Oracle's fiscal report, its revenue has gone up 18% in the first quarter after the acquisition of healthcare technology firm Cerner. This is a big leap from the 5% growth recorded in the earlier quarters. Oracle had lost earnings per share to low foreign exchange rates, but the Cerner deal seems to have refreshed the numbers in favor. Oracle's bold vision with Cerner is to make medical records more easily accessible to the users. Uh, this sounds this sounds pretty pretty good, Jim. In my opinion, as someone who knows this stuff very uh, on the elementary level. <laughs> not a not a side note, real quick. Not to not a side note. If you if, if you notice, they came up short on the profit, but the revenue met their expectations. And ironically enough, no pun intended and no segue intended to be. Where did a majority of those of, of that of that revenue come from the cloud services and license support <laughs> right and cerner's an interesting acquisition because i had heard about it and they spent this side of 40 billion dollars on cerner yeah. right so a lot of people aren't aware of this too um again talking with many of the developers at oracle uh talking with some of the guys that are actually working on building out cerner to be what cerner really could be you know, you've got Cerner, you have Epic, you have a handful of other EMR companies, yeah. true. Uh, but Oracle has 11 vertical industries. That's what I think their next focus is, right? Uh, sure, you can log on and you can get an always free layer in the cloud and run a tiny little machine in there. And, you know, but is that going to hook a, a generation of new Java developers, you know? No, it's not. And so when you look at Oracle, they're playing a very smart hand here. Uh, e electronic medical record collection is a crucial piece of expanding healthcare to everyone everywhere, right? Look at the growth of telemedicine, look at, especially during the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and also look at the fact that uh, one of the little interesting part that kind of escaped notice in uh, the earnings call was that Larry Ellison himself said, we're going to take Cerner applications and build them out to where they should be, not in three or four years, but in one year. And he said, we've got this new thing called Apex, Application Express. It's brand new. And I'm like, Larry, dude, that's been around for 20 years. It finally started getting its acknowledgement, by the way, during the pandemic, when Oracle built a bunch of free software for uh, medical personnel to use for everything from tracking patient information to tracking infections, right? And they built it. I've seen the conference call with Larry Ellison online during the conference call, okay? So, I mean, finally, it's like the, the cards, the stars are aligning, the right cards have been played. And yeah, I hate to say this, I think Oracle's gonna eclipse Google quite quickly. I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Well, it sounds like uh, it sounds like Oracle's doing doing you know like what you said, Gerard, playing the long game, and it, it seems to be working for them. Good strategy. Um, well, that's going to do it for this week's rundown. Uh, let's look forward to the week ahead. Uh, if you missed the Cloud Field Day Extra with NetApp, that happened on Tuesday, September twentieth. Uh, you can check out the live stream. Uh, video on demand on our LinkedIn page. You can head over to the Tech Field Day LinkedIn page to watch those, or you can head over to our website right now and check out Cloud Field Day 15, where Stephen 
we'll be hosting great presentations there from September 21st today through the 23rd. Uh, Mobility Field Day with Tom Hollingsworth is also coming up October 5th through the 6th. Uh, you can go over to our website, the Tech Field Day website, to check out more information there. Uh, Gerard, we're going to start with you. Do you have anything coming up that you want to talk about? Yeah, so I've got a bunch coming up. Good stuff. You know, I was, I was just I made a Twitter post about two days ago. You know, I kind of took off the summer. I needed a little bit of a recharge, some family time, but we're back. We got some great content coming out. Um, you can always find me at G Cavalinas on Twitter, Gerard Cavalinas on LinkedIn. Tech Field Day, without question, puts on some of the most phenomenal events. So check out Cloud Field Day and Mobility Field Day. But the next time you're going to see me, and I'm very honored, is I'm going to be at Tech Field Day 26, and that's October 19th. To the 21st and I feel like I've come full circle right like I'm real blessed I got to do a bunch of networking field day, security field thing with Tom but I finally get to meet Stephen so I'm excited for that uh we're gonna have a lot of great presenter there presenters there Intel AWS ZPE they're announcing more so keep an eye out for that I'll be posting a lot of stuff about it use the hashtag TFD26 and follow along and I'll be excited to see everybody from Silicon Valley so that's the next big thing coming up so it's gonna be a fun time <laughs> Awesome. Field day is always a fun time. Jim, what about you? What do you have coming up? Actually, I'm going to be at storage field day. I think that's November 2nd through the 4th, another tech field day event. Uh, I think right. it's my first storage field day event. So that's going to be interesting because um, actually in the last 10 years, I did a lot of work with storage. Um, actually, so I'm really excited about that. And the week before that, I'm going to be out at Oracle Cloud World, which is the first reconstituted Oracle Open World. So it's going to be very interesting to see how big it is, right? Uh, how many people are actually going to show up in person. Uh, and also, it's going to be in Las Vegas for the first time. So, you know, what happens in Vegas hopefully doesn't stay in Vegas. And we'll hear a lot more about that at Storage Field Day. Go get them, brother. Go get him, man. I'm working on it, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Love to see it. Uh, that about wraps it up for this week's edition of the Gestalt IT Rundown. Remember that the Gestalt IT Rundown is available as a podcast as well as a video on YouTube every Wednesday around 1 p.m. on youtube.com slash Gestalt IT video or your favorite podcast application. We also post the full show on our Facebook page. If you have a story you'd like to discuss with us on this show, tweet at Gestalt IT with the hashtag rundown and we'll add it to the show notes. We'll be back next Wednesday to talk about all the IT news in the week that was. But until then, for myself, for Tom Hollingsworth, for Stephen Foskett, for the great team who helped me put this show together, uh, Megan and Salagna, thank you for helping me with that. And all of us in the Gestalt IT family, here's wishing you and yours a gratifying day. 